With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Everybody and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for episode number 37, where we took calls from you, the listeners, and let you lead the conversations. During that episode, we could only take one call at a time, so we had a lot of calls go to voicemail. So in the second segment of today's episode, we're going to play some of those voicemails and try to answer some of those questions that we didn't get to last week. And in the first segment, we're going to, as usual, take your questions from all of our social media and email. And then make sure you stay tuned all the way to the end because we have an announcement about where we're going to be going over the next couple of months. All right, let's get started then. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, our first question comes from listener Miranda. There's a question that comes up as I listen to so many stories of wrongful conviction and unsolved murders due to sloppy investigations. Why don't we train our police departments across the country in evidence-based techniques for investigating crimes and interviewing subjects? Well, that's the thing is that is how our law enforcement is trained. For example, the read technique, which is the most common training out there for uh, any investigators to take for interviewing subjects. The read technique teaches in the, in the opening chapter that your goal and your mission in utilizing this technique is to find the truth. It's not to get a confession. It's to find the truth. And, you know, as far as investigative techniques, every textbook that's out there, every class that is available, obviously I haven't taken all the classes or read all the books, but I've read a lot of them, but they all teach the same thing, that, that all investigations should be based in facts and evidence. Certainly in the fire service, uh, when we're taught arson investigation techniques, it's all about evidence and facts and not opinions, and law enforcement is no different. So our issue isn't that are the officers aren't being trained properly the issue is that that certain people and understand this isn't a necessarily a systematic issue meaning that i think that that you know well over 90% of police officers probably closer to the 95 97% of police officers are doing their job very well and they're very dedicated professionals but you know police officers are human beings and and there's good ones and there's bad ones and I think a lot of the time when we run into the problems that we see in these wrongful conviction cases, it's usually the issue is one of two things. One, either you have just a rogue officer that is you know, trying to make a name for themselves or trying to uh, just close cases, or sometimes it's ego or personal vendetta or something like that. So it's a lot of times it's, it's the individual. And then other times the systematic issue comes in in the way that these officers are motivated. You know, you are if you're going to climb the ladder and be promoted and succeed in the business, you have to have a reputation for closing cases. So because of the motivating factors behind how a police officer is going to succeed, and the same applies to prosecutors as well, that's always in the back of their mind. If it leaves these cases open and they don't, you know, they don't catch the bad guys, then they're not going to be successful in the business. So it's that, it's that motivating factor behind uh, how to move up the ladder 
I think, that causes this to happen a lot of times. But again, the, the training that they receive is exactly what you're saying. It's, it's evidence-based investigations. Theories come after evidence, not the other way around. We don't investigate with blinders on. And even in the interrogation room, you know, the goal is to get to the truth. The goal is not always to get someone to confess. It's to get to the truth. All right. And Aaron says, what is the status of Sandra's appeal? What is the potential wait time for a new trial or overturned conviction? The current status of Sandy's appeal is that her defense attorneys have filed their, their brief and filed their motion requesting a new trial on direct appeal. And the next step there is for the state to then file a response to that motion. So as, as I mentioned last week, you know, step one is this is why we deserve a new trial. Step two is for the state to respond and say, well, this is why you don't deserve a new trial. And then I believe that the defense will then get to respond to that again, respond to the response. And then, you know, hopefully uh, oral arguments are awarded. You know, the judges don't have to have an open hearing where you can present witnesses and evidence. You know, they, they could just read and make a decision based solely on the brief. I think that's unlikely in this case. Um, but then there would be oral arguments. And then we'd wait for a decision by the judge. Once the judge makes a decision, so say if they decide based on the arguments that Max Seacrest has made in the appeal that Sandy does deserve a new trial in Texas, then that automatically gets bounced up to the Criminal Court of Appeals, where they will review that decision and determine if she does, in fact, get a new trial, or they can overrule that decision. So it, it's it's quite a process, and we're going to learn a lot more about that this week. Uh, as I mentioned in Sunday's episode, this Sunday, two days from now, we're going to be hearing directly from Sandy's attorney, Max Seacrest. So he's going to answer, hopefully, all of our questions about everything from the case itself, the original trial, the appeals, and where he thinks things are going from here. So we've been, we've been waiting for this moment. Max's been telling me for months that once they're, they're done with the appeals and, and get it filed, and he has a chance to breathe, then uh, he's willing to come on the show, and we've got that booked. The day you hear this, we're recording the interview with Mac yesterday. We're recording on Thursday. So I'm really looking, personally, looking forward to Sunday's episode. I think you all should, too, because uh, Mac is a very, very well-spoken and very colorful character and very knowledgeable in the field. He's been a defense attorney for over 40 years. So I, I'm personally really interested to hear what he has to say about everything related to Sandy's case. Vivian says, when are we going to look into the housekeeper and the housekeeper's daughter? Uh, that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks. And when we close today's episode, we're going to um, kind of give you guys some some projections on where we plan on going. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of, of research into them as we speak. I've got Liz Rose right now trying to track down names and phone numbers so we can do a little more. But we'll, we'll get into that here in the coming next couple of weeks as we go through all of the rest of the alternate suspects. All right, and Jeremy says, if we could only read one book, he says, I know there are many, to help us be better members of the Truth and Justice Army, what book would you recommend? Well, you know, the, the strength in the Truth and Justice Army is that we all have our own expertises, right? Everybody has a skill set that they can bring to the table. And as a lot of people have found over the years, you, you may have a skill or a resource that you don't necessarily think would matter in a criminal investigation until it does. You know, for example, we had, we needed to find TV guide listings during season two from 1993. And we happen to have a listener that lived near a library and goes there often. And she's like, Hey, there's something I can do. I can go to the local library because it's from a local newspaper and go through the microfiche and find that uh, TV guide listing. So I wouldn't say you need to read and study and learn about criminal profiling or interrogation techniques or investigative techniques. I think that your skill sets are what they are, and that's the, that's the power behind what we do, is that we have such a wide variety of people who, who can pretty much take care of anything. There's never been something that I have requested of our audience to help me with that no one stepped up to, to, to do it. There's always been someone that could take care of whatever, everything from needing somebody to, to represent Kenny Snow as an attorney all the way down from, from transcribing episodes to going to the, to the library. Like I said, there's always someone that has the resources, availability, or skill set to do things. So that being said, as far as a book, if I was going to recommend one book to help you be, as, as, as he put it, a, a better member of the Truth and Justice Army, I think that a book that Johnny Pryor 
recommended to me a few years ago. And for those of you that, that don't remember or haven't listened to season two, but Johnny Pryor is Elnora Griffin's cousin and, and her neighbor that lived next to her. And when I was talking to her during Ed Eight's case, you know, I stopped by every time I was in town and kind of updated her on what we were doing. She recommended to me to read a book by Brian Stevenson titled Just Mercy. And I took her advice and I got the book and read it. And it is a, a fantastic read uh, about criminal justice reform. Um, it's been years since I've read it. I, I want to say this was in the 70s and 80s, but it was you know criminal justice reform in the South. And it is just, it's just an absolutely fantastic read. And what it does is it gives you a lot of perspective. And I think it's a motivator to see what one person can do. Because we operate as one united front, but we are a, we are comprised of tens of thousands of individuals. And what we learn in the book, Just Mercy, is that one person can make a difference. All right, and Donna wants to know if you have any updates on the George Powell case or Jesse Eldridge's case. Nothing new on on either front. Uh, definitely not George Powell. You know, George Powell's case has been sent up to the CCA, and so hopefully we'll get a ruling from there soon. But it's it's looking like George Powell is going to have his conviction vacated, uh, like we talked about a few months ago. Nothing has moved since then, and unfortunately, that tends to be the case in Texas a lot of times when something gets sent up to the the Criminal Court of Appeals then it becomes a long waiting game before they, they rule on the case. So nothing new there as far as Jesse's case is concerned. Um, I've spoken with Jesse quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. I talked to him, I think, last Friday. They're, they're on lockdown now. But Jesse, Jesse went through a little rough patch where he was really, really, really struggling with a lot of things. And he sounded better than I've heard him sound in a long time on Friday. He's optimistic. He's comfortable with where things are at right now. I mean, obviously, he's frustrated that things aren't moving faster, but um, Jesse is doing a lot better. Uh, he sounds really good, and he did want me to pass along to all of you how much he, he genuinely appreciates the support that all of you have given to him. Um, he still gets a lot of letters, and, and he said really when he was kind of going through a dark time that that's what really pulled him through, you know, between the support of his wife and daughter and then, you know, the constant letters from listeners just, just talking to him and letting him know that they believe in his innocence and they support him. So if you're one of those people that have been sending letters, uh, just know that that does absolutely make a difference. It's really impacting Jesse's life. Um, and as far as where his case is at, you know, it's still sitting with the, with the CIU. There's been some turnover in the DA's office in Dallas. That slowed things down. Um, I personally went and met with a DNA expert that is uh, using some new methods for DNA testing that I believe and she believes would be extremely beneficial and, and possibly could finally crack the case and figure out who killed Kiao Gove. Uh, and that's been forwarded to Allison Clayton. And so she'll be, she's the one that has the direct contact with the CIU. So hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be doing some, a new round of DNA testing, I, I'm hoping, with, with this new methodology that may finally bring Kiao's murderer to justice and set Jesse Eldridge free and let him go home to his family. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus and while we're on the topic of other cases listener emma wanted to know about the current status of the adnan syed case where's he at with his appeal um adnan's case is so we had, when we had colin miller on he explained some avenues for the case. You know, one of the avenues was, you know, because I'm sure you all know and remember that the the highest court in Maryland 
overturned the lower court's ruling and reinstated a non-conviction, saying that the argument about the cell phones, which is, was the winning issue, was a time time barred issue, meaning it had to have been brought up at the beginning of the process, and since it wasn't, it was overruled basically on a technicality. So the, the options there were to you know appeal that decision up to the Supreme Court. Collins said that you know he finds it very unlikely that the Supreme Court would actually uh, hear this case. You know they don't have to hear every case, so. I, we'll see what happens there. They may. Um, and then there was also the the ability to file an ineffective assistance of post-conviction counsel, which Colin says that he believes is, is a guaranteed winning argument um, based on the way, or not guaranteed, but a very, very likely to be a winning argument um, based on the way the ruling was written. Um, and so, but you know, there's a, there's a few steps to go through. So what happened a few weeks ago was Justin Brown filed a motion to reconsider. Basically, he sent after the court made its split decision. I think it was a four to three vote. Uh, he sent a motion back asking them to reconsider their decision and and explaining why he believes that they may have erred. Uh, that was pretty quickly shut down, and they did not reconsider it. So, so their decision stands. And it sounds like from what I'm seeing on social media that now the next step is Justin is going to go ahead and file a motion with the Supreme Court. Um, that being said, we still have the the ineffective assistance of post-conviction counsel argument that can be made. I don't know if we have to wait until after the Supreme Court makes their decision before we do that, but essentially what Justin Brown is doing right now is making sure we we take every chance we have, you know, so that's we don't want to skip the 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 appeal to the Supreme Court and go straight down to the post-conviction counsel claim because maybe the Supreme Court would have won. And so we're, they're trying every single avenue. And then, and then, of course, don't forget that if we can find new and compelling evidence that proves who actually killed Heyman Lee and proves a non syed's innocence, then we can always file, when I say we, I guess they can always file a, a writ of habeas corpus based on actual innocence for an exoneration. But that would require new evidence. And again, in a non's case, just like in Jesse's case, and in a lot of these cases, there are new methods out there for DNA testing that that could possibly prove who did this, you know, even even as far as is, is just getting the state to test, you know, the, the fingerprints to run them through a database, the fingerprints from the car, uh, and do and maybe do. And, and when I spoke with Robbie a couple of weeks ago, she's hoping that they'll take the profile that was found on the um, the red or the white wire or cord uh, that was found right near Hayes' body. They got the full female DNA profile on that. Um, she's hoping that they'll take that and run that through the genealogy searching databases that I spoke about a few weeks ago. Um, but again, that's a decision that has to be made by the state. So that's something that like Justin would have to request for the state to do this. And then if they agree to do it, then hopefully that'll happen. So there's still a lot going on. But as where it stands right now is his conviction is in place. The motion to reconsider was denied. And it sounds like Justin's getting ready to file uh, an appeal up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Okay, and switching back over to the Melgar case, Julie wants to know if you've considered using the Nextdoor app to get the word out about Sandy's case and the reward money. Someone has mentioned this to me before, and it's something I haven't looked into. But if it's a if it's a viable means to to get the word out, then yeah, absolutely. I just I guess my what I'm saying is I don't quite understand how it works. I've done a little bit of research. Mike and I looked it up earlier today, actually, and it sounds like it's almost like a forum. Like a like a web chat type thing for certain neighborhoods. I don't know if you have to live in the neighborhoods to do it, but it, it's something that we certainly will be looking into. And also to update you on this, by the time you heard this, I will have already had this conversation. But I have a meeting today, actually, the day we're recording this Wednesday, uh, with a radio advertising company from Houston. So we're going to talk about how exactly to market the campaign, and we're gonna we're probably gonna be dropping some radio ads very soon. I had a couple listeners that emailed and volunteered to deliver flyers to. You know, anywhere in Houston specifically, I want to get them out to the A Leaf area. Um, so I just I sent them an email back yesterday. Hopefully, we'll hear back soon. So that's right now. You know, our my number one mission, aside from all of our other jobs that we have to do, is to get the word out about this reward fund. Liz says, "I think you said at one point you think it was a woman who killed Jim. Can you refresh my memory about why this was, other than the unknown female DNA found in the scene?" Sure, I think there's a lot of indicators that this could be a woman. So yeah, there's unknown female DNA found at the scene in several places. 
And then we also have the fact that our our killer seems to have been armed only with a knife and really seems to have struggled controlling Jim, which, you know, from from what I understand, Jim, even though he was a small guy, was a very strong guy. So that could have been, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that was a woman, but there, there's just another indicator that with the, the vast, huge number of injuries and defensive wounds, Jim was fighting back and and the offender certainly was not able to control him very well. But then the, the bigger factors are the fact that we have this size medium shirt that's a woman's shirt found in the in the bathtub that that tested positive or reacted for for blood. Uh, I mean, that's that's a really good indicator that a woman was wearing it and a woman was right there in his proximity. The fact that there's only one shirt in the in the water to me would be a good indication that that was the only person that was right there on top of Jim. Uh, and also along those lines, I'd mentioned last week that Sandy had told me that she had a, a bathing suit cover up that was kind of similar to that shirt, but she wouldn't have had it out. Well, um, some of Sandy's friends, uh, pulled out some old pictures and posted them, uh, on the free Sandy Melgar Facebook page. And then again, that was posted over to our page, uh, with a picture of Sandy in the bathing suit cover up that she was referring to. And it does look very similar. It is a little more flowy and a little loose. Uh, but it is most certainly not the same shirt because the shirt that she had, the white shirt she had as a bathing suit cover-up, had black trim on it. And, of course, the shirt found in the bathtub did not have any black trim. So if she only had the one uh, that that she was referring to when she said she had that kind of lacy, white, uh, low-cut bathing suit cover-up, we have a picture of her in that cover-up, and it is most definitely not the shirt that was found in the bathtub. Personally, it is my opinion, I believe that the shirt in the bathtub was worn by the killer. And then, of course, we have more information now that the listeners have found that there was, and pointed out to me, the long black hair in the closet right over Jim's head on the shirt sleeve. All of these are indicators that this was very likely a female perpetrator uh, that killed Jim. And then, of course, we have Sandy's recovered memory or uh, a memory that she, you know, she worked out when it was after some confusion that she remembers seeing a Hispanic woman in the bathroom when she was being tied up. So there's a lot there that indicates to me that I think very likely the person that actually killed Jim probably was a female. Again, that's my opinion based on the evidence that I just gave you. So, you know, I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but it just, that seems like the most likely scenario to me. Danny says, if in fact we find evidence that without a doubt proves someone else killed Jim Melgar, what steps do we take from there, and what process would that look like? Well, it's a little confusing at this point, and I think Matt can help clear that up on Sunday, because normally, in the cases we usually work on, we would file a writ of actual innocence. You know, we would, we would submit the evidence to a judge, and you take it to the prosecutor first, and, and file a writ of actual innocence. If we have definitive physical evidence that proves that someone else did this, that's pretty much a no-brainer. The issue we have right now is Sandy's case is so recent, She's still in the direct appeals phase, which is arguing an unfair trial. Basically, we're looking at constitutional issues in the direct appeal phase. You can't introduce new evidence. So from my understanding, there is an option there if, uh, if you're very confident in that argument that you can bypass your direct appeal and file a writ you know, without filing the direct appeal. It, it seems like that's the best way to do it, but it's you know, kind of like what we see with Justin Brown in Anand's case. That's not always necessarily going to be the case because you want to make sure that you're taking every chance and every shot that you have because you just never know in post-conviction work what is actually going to work. And I know for a fact from speaking with Max Seacrest that he's very confident that they have a winning argument in this direct appeal. So I don't know that they would bypass that unless it is just absolutely concrete, solid evidence that someone else did this. And our last question comes from John. Why is it that there are so many women Truth and Justice fans? It seemed like virtually every caller last week was. Any guys? Is it Bob's media charisma or his amazing sex appeal? Or is it just the tats? But, uh, yeah, and we both know it's my sex appeal, right? We both know that. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> well, that's... I backed way off the mic on this one. <laughs> okay, well, um, uh, no, unsa- so funny thing. When um, I would say good question, but that is not not that great of a question, John. I got to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but to, it is interesting. So when I first started doing the podcast, you know, we get demographics in our analytics from our host site, 
when I first got it, it was like 70% of my audience was female. I was like, man, I must be really charming. And so I really, I really thought it was my, my stunning sex appeal, like you said. And what I found out, John, and the reason why it's mostly women calling in is, uh, as it turns out, it's not me at all. Uh, it's uh, true crime in general. Uh, the audiences tend to sway almost 75% female, just in general. Uh, so it, it has really nothing to do with this particular show. That's just that the genre attracts women, I think mostly because they're smarter than us. So yeah, what I found through years of doing this, John, is that uh, I most certainly have a face that was made for radio, and my uh, my my tats nor my charisma or my sex appeal have really anything to do with the fact that our audience is mostly female. Um, I, and I'm sure that the females would tell you that exact same thing. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, now we're going to get into our listener voicemails that we couldn't get to last week. This first one comes from Jasmine. Hi, it's Jasmine from London. This isn't a tip. I was phoning in to talk to you, but I guess I probably missed the uh, window. I was just wondering, is there not a way in trials for the judge to say, oh, this is clearly ridiculous and just throw out the case rather than putting it to the jury? Because in a case like the Melgars, I mean, how could anybody possibly have found her guilty? And surely the judge has some, like, leeway to say, no, this doesn't make any sense. Um, That is my question. Bye. That's a really good question, Jasmine. And actually, the judge does have that ability. But from my understanding, it almost never happens. I, I, I personally don't know of a case where it's ever happened. But what you see a lot of times... We saw it in Jesse Eldridge's case, uh, in Sandra's case. And it, really, I think in most cases, after the state rests their case, before the defense puts on theirs, you'll oftentimes see where the defense attorney will ask for a directed verdict from the judge. Essentially, what, they're, what, what they'll say is, the state did not prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt, so we're asking you, the judge, to step in and just rule that the defendant is, is innocent and acquit them and, and put an end to it. Because, you know, that, that's why the state goes first. They have to prove their case, and then the defense comes up, and then they, they try to disprove the case. Well, if the state never proved it to begin with, then obviously the, the defense will want the judge to just end the whole trial and, and declare the, the individual innocent. But again, that's done. I've read that in many transcripts where it's been requested. I've never seen anywhere where it's actually happened. All right, this next one's from Michelle. Hi, Bob. And Mike, it's Michelle, who's calling with a question. I'm wondering what your experience with Sandy's case has been, given that it's so recent. You know, does that mean some changes to the options that she has available to her? And I'm wondering from your side and then maybe from the attorney's side and Sandy's side, if you know any of that, what the, um, you know, the timeliness has done to impact positively or negatively your work. Looking forward to hearing about it. So the the recentness of this case kind of cuts both ways. For one, as I said from the very beginning, I think this is probably the most solvable case that we've ever come across, and I still believe that. I believe once if, if we get that reward fund in the ears or in front of the right people, this happened recently enough that I I do believe that we have a much better shot of solving this case than we do of solving some of the others. That being said, you know I I I thoroughly believe that before too long, we are going to catch the people or person that killed Elnora Griffin, our season two case. And that's just a matter of waiting on some testing. Uh, but but that took a long time to get there, whereas I think in, in a lot of investigative work, whereas this one, I think it's going to be a matter of just putting that reward out to the right people. And I think that um, someone's going to come forward with, with some information that's going to lead to an arrest here. So the the the, the fact that it's recent is helpful in trying to determine who actually did this. 
Uh, but at the same time, it does have some challenges in the fact that, you know, our work is generally trying to find new evidence, like something that may come forward with a tip to prove actual innocence. But we're not even to that stage of the game yet in Sandy's case because she's still in the direct appeals, as I was mentioning earlier. So that's the only hang up. But again, as I said, if we have very clear cut evidence that Sandy Melgar is absolutely innocent and we know who actually did it, I think that the the wheels of justice will finally turn pretty quickly if that's the case. All right, let's hear what Michael has to say. Hey, Bob, it's Michael Haynes calling from New Jersey. I'm not calling in for the tip line. I'm calling in to ask a question for the call-in session, and that is this. I believe that there was a bloody handprint left on the safe uh, in the closet where uh, Mr. Melgar was killed. Was that DNA ever tested, and could it be tested against Cinead? That's all I had right now, and don't forget, that's promo code Rough ED. That's promo code Rough ED. And there it is. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. There it is. He lit uh, you up there, Bob. Yeah, I knew that. I told you he's he's uh, Michael Haynes, a bit of a smart aleck on the fan page. I like him. I like his style. Um, yeah, so uh, you can get started for just five bucks a month at forhims.com and use promo code Rough ED for that erectile dysfunction if any of you are having that problem or know someone who is. But getting back to his question. The blood from the safe has not been tested for DNA. That's something that we're working on. I think Liz says she's got a trip planned down to Houston soon, and I think very likely we'll try to take that safe and get it swabbed professionally and have somebody get that DNA profile to see if maybe it is someone's other than Jim's. Uh, and if it is, that would be really, I think we've been operating, or at least I've been operating, assuming because it's Jim's blood everywhere else that that's probably Jim's blood. But what if it isn't? Can you imagine? the ramifications or or just the impact it would have if Maurice Carpenter never swabbed that blood, didn't collect the safe for evidence, and then finally we take and swab the blood on the safe and find out that it's a full profile of someone other than Sandy or Jim. I mean, that would be clear-cut, what we were talking about earlier, clear-cut evidence of actual innocence that someone else did this, and it was sitting right there the whole time, and, and Carpenter didn't bother to swab it because, as he said at trial, it would have just been, actually, he said it would have just been Sandy's, but I think he meant Jim's uh, blood on the safe. So, uh, but no, it hasn't been tested yet. Uh, it's, it's, it's stored. I, I know that very soon we're going to try to get that tested to figure out if it is anyone's other than Jim's, and then we'll have to go from there. All right, and we've got another voicemail here. Unfortunately, the caller didn't leave her name, but we still appreciate it. And here we go. Hi, Robin Knight. This is a question regarding um, Sinead's husband at the time. I don't know if she was married. It was kind of confusing if she was married at the time when the Melgars, Mr. Melgar got killed. And I'm wondering if we can get any information. I know you said he's not Hispanic. He's white. But still, it doesn't seem like she could do all this without maybe him being involved or him knowing. And maybe he was part of it. Any kind of DNA that they could get at for him. And also back to the renters, if we can get any DNA through, you know, just digging up the garbage or straws or whatever. Right. Yeah, so as far as Cineed, she was married uh, prior. She got married in 2010. So she was married to uh, her her non-Hispanic husband prior to the murders. As far as DNA stuff goes, that's going to be up to the defense team and investigators. Remember, we have Kathleen Zellner working on the case. It seems so. So again, I want to stress and clarify. I don't know if Siniad had anything to do with Jim's murder. I just want to make that crystal clear. We're looking at similar cases. She is a person who, if I was investigating, would I, I would definitely have wanted to interview her, check her alibi, check her phone records as as a person of interest, only because of such a similar mo in the Kingwood home invasion. Uh, I think she is. She should not be eliminated from the suspect pool until some of that can be done or if it had been done back then. But as far as the Kingwood home invasion, we know for a fact that she committed that crime. She was caught red-handed. She was caught with the stolen property in her vehicle, and it was the vehicle that the the homeowners, the victims, saw drive away. So she did that one. What seems very unlikely to me is that her husband would have no knowledge of that. Uh, whether he was involved or not, I can't say. And of course, I can't say for sure that he would know, but this occurred at 1 o'clock in the morning. If she's out at 1 a.m. committing burglaries, it just, it just seems unfathomable to me 
Of course, I don't know what their relationship's like, but it just it just seems crazy to me to think that her husband wouldn't know anything about it, if not being involved himself. So uh, I think that's that's definitely an avenue that needs to be looked into, and it's some, there's some information that that I have that I'm going to be passing along to Kathleen Zellner, or, or to you know, and actually Liz has been a big part of the investigation that's been going on, kind of behind the scenes right now that we can't necessarily talk about it. Um, but you know, that information will be passed on to Kathleen Zellner so that she can. Uh, handle that as part of her new investigation, but uh, for sure, that I think the the husband should be looked at as well. If for no other reason, then I just can't believe that he wouldn't know what she's up to or what she's doing. All right, and here's our last voicemail, and this one comes from Elizabeth. Hey, y'all! I missed the call in. This is Elizabeth from Mississippi. Um, I just kind of wanted to know what the uh, update was on the West Memphis 3 case. I'm eager for y'all to get back to it. Thanks. Bye. Okay, so that question fits into what I wanted to talk about here at the close. I know, Mike, we've got one more thing. I want to talk a little bit about CrimeCon and let everybody know that today is the last day to use our promo code. Um, So let me just talk to you a little bit about that, then I'll come back to this question to, to close things out. So today, Friday, May 3rd, is the last day. For any of you that are interested in going to CrimeCon, it's our the last day for you to get 10% off of the tickets. And you can do that by using promo code TRUTH19. That's a, a deal that's offered from the CrimeCon people, uh, specifically for our listeners. So if you use code TRUTH19, you get 10% off. And uh, CrimeCon, for those of you that don't know, is it's an awesome time. There's going to be everybody you can imagine from true crime all in one place. Everyone's super accessible. Especially all your favorite true crime podcasters will be in what's called Podcast Row, which is every day for a couple of hours. All of the podcasters will be down in a room at a table, and you can come by and meet all of us and take pictures and and chat and whatever you want to do. So crime and then there's all kinds of presentations and classes and stuff like that. So if you're interested in going to CrimeCon, again, today is the last day to use promo code TRUTH19 to get 10% off your tickets. Uh, and so, sorry, I just wanted to get that out there before I forgot. And now looping back to the question about the West Memphis three. So this is where we're at right now. We are quickly approaching the end of our coverage of the Melgar case, at least based on what we have right now. So this, this is the tricky part we have in every season where we're doing an active investigation. We can't necessarily talk about everything that we're doing. As you guys know, last week, Mike and I got a, got a lead. We hit the road. We were gone. We can't really share what we were doing because it's, just, because it's an active investigation for a lot of reasons. We don't want to we, we broadcast that information, what we're doing. So we still want to keep everyone engaged and get more information coming in. But the other side of that is I don't want to keep making a podcast every week that doesn't have any any real good content. So we we always kind of hit this lag at the end where it's like when do we when do we pull the plug and move on to the next case even though we're still you know as as you heard we're still working actively on Ed Eight's case. We're still working actively on Jesse Eldridge's case. I spent just two and a half months working primarily on the West Memphis 3 case where I was out on the road. Uh and so the same will be true of Sandy's case. So when we conclude this season of the podcast there's still going to be a lot of work being done. We're just not going to be broadcasting it on the podcast every week because, uh, you know, realistically, you guys will get real sick of hearing us tune in and and listening to two minutes of whatever new information there is. So what we'll do is wait and we'll do updates along the way when we get new information. Now that being said, with this reward fund going out in, you know, it's out there now. And we're in the next week or two, we're putting it out in more places. We're going to do the radio ads. We're going to do some direct mailers. We're going to be passing out flyers. So we may start getting tips rolling in and and continue, if they're legitimate tips, continue the, the season until we've exhausted all these resources with all of you helping uh, through the podcast. But as of right now, we have to, we don't take weeks off. You know, that's, you know, p- part of the deal is, is to be very transparent. As you guys know, this is how Mike and I both earn our living. And if we don't make a podcast, we don't get a paycheck. So we've got to keep going every week. Uh, and so we have started researching for our next case. Uh, we do not have one selected yet. We've got some finalists, some that we think are probably uh, going to be good cases. We're trying to decide which one. So one thing I'll say is if you have a case that you really want us to look into, now is the time to go to our website, truthandjusticepod.com. 
click the case submission button and fill out the form because in the next couple of weeks we're going to we we have to make the decision so that we can start getting documents so that we are ready to roll when we finish Sandy's case and we move on to the next one. So if you have a case you want us to look into, fill out that form against the website and the case submission button, get those cases into us so that we can review them because right now we're down to two or three finalists that we think are probably going to, one of those three at this point, are going to be our next case. And so th- that leads back to the the question here from the voicemail is when are we getting back to the West Memphis 3 case? Um, that will be, it's, it's looking now, as I said, way at the beginning. It depends on timing-wise if we're ready to go. I can tell you right now we are not ready to launch back into the West Memphis 3 case. And I, I know a lot of you are dying for us to get back to it. I'm dying to get back into it too. Uh, and I know you also want a better explanation than I can give you right now, but I just can't. What I can tell you is uh, there is active investigation being done right now. Uh, I've been working along with with several people very hard on that on that case, investigating it very thoroughly, and we have a lot of stuff going on right now. And it's just the work we're doing is too open right now for me to start broadcasting the episodes again. What I'm hoping to do, and 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 just to be very upfront with you guys, you know, for us, we're we're learning as we go every single season. You know, you all know that Mike and I aren't, you know, we're we're professional podcasters now, but you know, we're firemen, and we're learning to do this. And we learn lessons every season, and and we've seen you know this Sandy's case uh, has 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 gone on for almost a year now, and it's it's been an incredible journey, and and I I think we're going to make some real progress as we move forward. But for for the production side, I think we 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 can make things tighter, put more in you know do more pre planning, put more into each episode, and keep the season tighter and shorter to keep all of you the listeners engaged because that that's a hard balance for us is to make sure we get all the information out there and we do a very detailed approach, but also we have to keep all of you engaged. And so if we're putting out blah episodes, then people start to tune out and then we're losing that help. So the plan is season seven, which as of right now, we're looking to probably, and again, depends on what happens in the next couple of weeks, but season seven will probably launch sometime in early early to mid June depending on what happens but and what we'd like to do is we're going to try to make that season much tighter probably about 6 months uh is is our goal 6 months or less and by then I think I can almost guarantee I know something I'm trying to think in my head timing wise what we're waiting for I think I can almost guarantee that after season 7 we'll we'll be ready then to launch right back into the West Memphis 3 if not before that, we may take a break in the middle of seven to cover uh, what's going on in the West Memphis three two. But uh, know that I know we get asked this constantly every single week. When are we going back to the West Memphis three? And we are going back. It, the the time is coming. We're getting very close. It's not right now, and you, you're just going to have to trust me that there's there's good reason for that. And I think you'll all be very satisfied with why we had to wait to to put that one out. So. Um, that's the plan. So as far as Sandy's case, what we have on the docket so far, tentatively, is that this week, which will be May 5th, uh, we're going to have Max Seacrest come on. And then we need to go through the rest of the alternate suspects. And, you know, there's not, there's not again, th- these are active investigations we need to do, but I can't broadcast everything that we're doing. Because you know, when we're looking at alternate suspects, we are looking at innocent people who we think could possibly have something to do with these crimes. And so the last, um, put yourself in the position of these individuals who, you know, some podcaster decides could be a viable suspect and then goes out and spreads all your personal information out all over the internet. Um, and for what purpose are there, is there anything that, that listeners who don't know these individuals is going to be able to do? And that's where we have to kind of balance that line. So with that being said, we're going to cover, the neighbor, the guy I've been calling Randy. We're going to cover uh, the housekeepers. We're going to cover the renters, uh, and, and we're going to touch on on Jim's other brother. Um, but I, I can tell you that that's all going to happen probably in about two weeks. You know, over two over the next two episodes, unless we find something really significant, we're going to share what we feel morally and ethically is I'm comfortable sharing and broadcasting on the podcast. 
with these people who are, in fact, innocent people, uh, as far as we know at this point. So that'll be like the 12th and the 19th. We're going to walk through those, and then we'll see if something spurs up from that. And, of course, I've still got research to do into them. And then what I'd like to do on May 26th, uh, which is the last Sunday of this month, so we're looking at four weeks from now, or uh, I guess the day after Sunday, three weeks from Sunday, uh, every season we've been doing uh, a, a counter-argument episode where we invite someone who believes that our subject is, in fact, guilty, invite them to come on the show and make their case and have, you know, it's been called a debate. I don't like it to be a debate. I like it to be a, a, a friendly discussion. Um, but so with that being said, I think that that will be a good time to do that. So I, 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 don't, I know some of the people that believe Sandy is guilty listen to the show. Some don't, but some have connections with people that do. So now's the time to reach out to anyone who is interested in coming on the show and having a discussion to present the guilty side of the argument so we can have a back and forth. You know, we kind of did that with Colleen Barnett at the beginning. Now that we've been through our investigation, we'd like to do it at the end um, to give you guys both sides of that argument. And then there'll probably be one episode after that where we will draw the season to, I will say, a close but not a conclusion because this case is not over. But that's probably when we will stop discussing it on the podcast and go ahead and move on to season seven until we have new information. And we'll continue to do updates as we get new information and as we need more help. So, again, I want to make sure it's clear that we are not done by any means with Sandy's case. But as far as the podcast coverage of season six, as of right now, we're probably around five to six weeks away from drawing it to its close. Uh, unless we get new information coming up after that. So with all that being said, I hope, I know that probably is a way longer answer than our, our uh, voicemail was was asking for, but I just want to keep you guys all in the loop. And again, a big purpose in this is that we don't want to be making episodes for the sake of making episodes. You know, we want to make sure that we're giving you guys new information, quality content and materials. And, and I think we're reaching the point where I'll be scraping to try to put together solid, interesting episodes for you guys if we don't go ahead and button up Season 6 and move on. And we've got some really interesting cases that we're looking at for Season 7, and don't forget that you can always submit those through our website, and I would do that soon if you want your case to be Season 7 of the Truth and Justice podcast. So we look forward to you guys all doing that. And again, hopefully we'll see a lot of you guys down in New Orleans for CrimeCon, which is June 7th, 8th, and 9th. Uh, so it's coming up in just about a month. Again, today is the last day to use promo code TRUTH19 to get that 10% off. And lastly, make sure you all tune in on Sunday to hear directly from the man himself, Mr. Max Seacrest. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Rachel Timberman, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Katherine Chrisman, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. And if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com, just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. 
For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at TruthJusticePod, and my personal Twitter handle is at BobRuffTruth. And for more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at TruthJusticePod. Don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. No, okay. Let's be cool. No, let's be cool. Be cool, honey, honey bunny. Uh, so if we do that, now try. All right, let's get started then. There you go. Okay. All see. right, let's get started then. Okay, I'm good too. But now, what's happening down here? Yeah. We still good here? All right then, let's get started. Nope. Now we're all f-ed up here. Is it Bob's media chart? Is it Bob's media charisma? Or it- <laughs> it's hard for you to say it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Say it. Lay it on me, Mike. Here we go. You ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Is it Bob's media charisma or his amazing sex appeal? That's that's the one. Or is it just the tats? <laughs> but uh, yeah, and we both know it's my sex appeal, right? We both know that. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. <laughs> well, that's... I backed way off the mic on this one. <laughs> and they like to solve problems and puzzles. Yeah, without a doubt. What, that they're smarter than us? <laughs> just scratch my line. <laughs> Your stupid fucking line better make the blooper reel of mine do. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro. Driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost.